It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton on location, along with my producer and co-host John Riley. John is based at our San Diego studios. I'm broadcasting from my cottage high in the Adirondacks near the New York-Canadian border. John, we got an awful lot to get done. I hope from a technical standpoint, we can make this work for all of our viewers up and down the West Coast in Southern California. What do you want to t- start? Because we got a lot to talk about. There's so much going on. And I right now, back here in San Diego, we are fired up for the Padres. It's, we're going into the playoffs. This is the first time we've been in the playoffs in, I mean, 2020 was great, but it's been since 06, right? Since we were in the playoffs legit. So we're all looking forward to the games in uh, New York. I give the Padres a lot of credit. They grinded through a lot of adversity, starting with the Fernando Tatis situation, John. And then you add into that uh, a wide variety of injuries, a beleaguered pitching staff. But right now they seem to be hitting on all cylinders as they open the series with the New York Mets. Now, Piece of history, John. The Padres are three and fourteen in postseason baseball, dating back to two thousand six. That's not much of a track record. Uh, they're going to have their hands full, but they're facing a New York Mets team that did not finish the season on an upbeat note. They got their brains blown out in a must-win series against the Atlanta Braves. The Mets yeah. fell out of first place into second place. So we've got a Padres team that seems to have put it all back together. They got a Mets team, although they're playing at home at City Field, which to me has to be a real positive. This is going to be an enormous. Pick'em series. Now let's start first of all with the Padres. You Darvish gets game one start. This guy's had a spectacular season. 16 wins on the year. Phenomenal from the all-star break on, John. His postseason career record, though, in the playoffs is only two and five. His ERA in the playoffs is 5.18. So he's gotten banged around a little bit in postseason play. But here's a really interesting statistic. I went back and researched this. The guys that are going to start in the three playoff games for the Padres in New York all have better records on the road this year than they do at Petco Park. Go figure that one out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Darvish, 9-3 and three on the road, uh, 3.50 ERA away from home. Pretty impressive. Blake Snell, who's been erratic, he's up, he's down, he's a bit of an enigma, but he's finished really upbeat. Blake Snell on the road, four and two this season nice. with a 306 earned run average. You're going to have to trust him as City Field. And then Joe Musgrove, uh, who started like a house of fire, cooled off, didn't get any run support at all. Joe Musgrove is seven and three on the road this season with a 3.06 ERA away from Petco Park. So if I'm giving a ball to guys, these are three proven guys on the road that I think are going to have some success. Now, Musgrove, there's a weird statistic. As good as Joe has been, as competitive as he's been, John, Joe Musgrove has won only two of his last 20 starts, dating back to just before the All-Star game he's pitched in a lot of bad luck. 
It looks the like last the bullpen few starts. He's been really good. He just the offense didn't score until late. You know when he was done. So I, he seems like he's got the mojo back. Uh, I will say this: the bullpen looks as if it's come back together. Josh Hader has had more really dominant outings than an odd bad outing in the last three to four weeks. Uh, the setup guys, for the first time in a while, all look like they're completely healthy, whether that's Nick Martinez, whether that's Robert Suarez, whether it's the guys that were counted on to give them the sixth and seventh innings to get them to the ninth. It's tough, though, to have grinded through 162 games, get on a plane, have one off day, and then have to go face the New York Mets. Now, those are positive numbers. We talked about the pitchers. My biggest concern, and I'll let you respond after I get done throwing these numbers at you, okay. the batting order. Manny Machado, I think, has had an MVP-type season. However, Manny, in the last couple of weeks of this grind, hitting only 234. Juan Soto, hitting 198. Period, exclamation point, just not the same player that he was in Washington. Josh Bell's been in and out of the lineup. Josh Bell in the in the heat of this pennant race to get him to the wild card spot, hitting only 162. And Trent Gershom is MIA. At one point this past weekend, he was hitting 080. Will Myers is hitting better. Uh, Kim, I think, has been pretty, pretty selective and, and I think successful. Cronenworth's season-long batting average isn't very good, but his last month or so has been pretty productive. And I don't know what they got behind home plate in terms of offense. I'm really concerned. How are they going to score runs? Because in all honesty, John, have not scored a lot of runs. So your comments on the bats. Well, first of all, the team overall plays better on the road, right? It's not just the pitching, but the hitting as well. Um, I think the Padres have a winning record against the Mets. My my son was actually in New York over the summer with his buddies, and they went and saw the game, one of the three games at City Field, and the Padres looked great. So can we bring back the magic? You remember that moment, like, I don't know, it was like seven years ago when Justin Upton hit the home run in the rain, and it was like a magical time when the Padres won it all, uh, at least in that one game. Maybe we can kind of recapture that and – you know, I think this series is winnable for the Padres. Even though they're on the road, they have a tough assignment. I mean, Soto hits really well off of DeGrom. Um, the Padres beat Scherzer earlier this year. I mean, this is going to be a great competitive series. I think the intangible thing, if a starter gets in trouble, I think the Padres, because of the extra starters they have, can go to the bullpen and hope that Sean Manaya will give them a good outing, filling innings if somebody – struggles right out of the gate. Amaniah's had back-to-back pretty good starts after they took him out of the rotation and gave him extra rest. There is a bit of an issue with Mike Clevenger. He's now on the injured list. They don't know whether or not he's got COVID. He did not join the team on the trip to New York. He's passed one COVID test. He must pass a second. But he could be a wild card in this whole thing in terms of long relief. So I think I think it's right there for the Padres. But look who they're facing. All right, let's talk about the Mets. This Mets team is loaded. Yes, Scherzer has had some ups and downs physically, but come postseason, we know track record Max Scherzer. Jacob deGrom has pitched really well since coming off nearly a year's layoff for all the arm problems. Very dangerous guy. 
lost in the conversation is the Mets pitcher they got from the Oakland Athletics, Chris Bassett. I think he's got 15 wins on the season. Wow. And then waiting in the wings is Carlos Carrasco, veteran guy, ex-Cleveland Indian guy, uh, being, brings some real credentials there. And I haven't mentioned Taiwan Walker, former Seattle Mariner, who's just a really feisty competitor. And, of course, they've got Diaz out of the bullpen, which is superb. Now, in terms of the batting order for the Mets, uh, Jeff McNeil just won the National League batting championship. Hit 326, kind of an anonymous 326, John, but he hit very well. They got Peter Alonso, 40 home runs, 270 batting average. Uh, the unsung hero in their batting order and a dangerous guy is is uh, their, their second baseman who came from Cleveland. And I think that Francisco Lindor, he can hit home runs. He does hit for average. He does put the ball in play. So I think the Mets are a pretty good lineup. Starlin Marte has been hurt. I don't know whether he's going to be ready to play in the Friday night game. But that guy hit 297, and he makes things happen at the top of the batting order. So um, to me, it's a really intriguing New York Mets team. I think a very good New York Mets team. And I think it's a flip-the-coin-in-the-air series. I I don't know who's going to win this one. I am really concerned about the Padres' lack of runs. uh, But the Mets have to be a little bit of concern about maybe their starting pitching with starters one and two. It's a best-of-three series. The guy that wins game one puts himself into the driver's seat. John, I'm flipping the coin. Who do you think is going to win? Well, I got to root for the Padres, right? And I think they have a legit shot. I mean, it's my heart and my head saying both. Um, and then even DeGrom, I mean, you know, how how long has he been off the injured list? I and mean, he still isn't 100% dependable DeGrom, is he? He's not vintage DeGrom, but DeGrom has had some really good outings. So it will be fun. They play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if there is a third game. Okay, let's go from the Padres. You want to talk about the other team that we paid a lot of attention to in the National League West. Yeah, well, I mean, here we go. I mean, the Dodgers are the number one seed. It's what everyone expected. Now they're they're going to start. Well, get the, they get to buy the first round, and they're going to get the winner, right, of the Mets and Padres. Um, I think the Padres have a better opportunity to beat the Mets than they are to overcome the Dodgers in the second round. But, you know, weird things have happened for Dave Roberts' team in the playoffs. Is it going to happen again? Dodgers, 111 wins. Not since 1906 has a National League team won that many games. That was the Chicago Cubs who won 112. The Dodgers won 111. And you and I have talked on our podcast in the past, John. This is a Dodger team that had five of their seven starting pitchers extended stays on the DL. And a Dodger team that was missing a number of relief pitchers and doesn't have everybody back and doesn't have a trustworthy closer right now just because of of what has happened uh, in their bullpen. Now, they still won 111. You can't take that away because that batting order just wears you out. It beats your brains out. I think there's some issues here with what happens once they get beyond Julio Urias and Clayton Kershaw. If, If they have to go to the pen early, 
who's the first guy? Is it is it the guy that's supposed to be the third starter, Tyler Anderson? Is it Tony Gonsolin, who's had one outing after coming off the injured list for an extended period with a forearm problem? They don't have Blake Trinan in the bullpen. How much can they use Dustin May, who missed a chunk of the season, obviously rehabbing the forearm surgery, then went back on the injured list with back problems. Now, he is back throwing. So the Dodgers have some iffy situations if they're starting pitching does not give them quality outings right out of the gate. But here's the issue. Dodgers get five days off between now and next Tuesday, John. And that five days makes a world of difference, especially to these pitchers who I think have got some ailments. I don't think they care who they play. I do firmly believe that the Dodger experience under Dave Robertson postseason just bides them a lot. I think it really helps them a great deal because they won't see anything in the second round of the playoffs. They've not seen before, whether it was playoffs, division series, championship series, or in the World Series. And you mentioned Dave Roberts. I think there's an issue here. There's an asterisk next to Dave Roberts' name because if there's a critique of a guy that's got a 633 win percentage as the Dodgers manager, highest of modern times of all the great Dodger managers, the one critique, the one asterisk is his inability to make the right decisions as it relates to the use of pitchers. You know, whether that's Scherzer, whether that was Kershaw, whether that was Urias coming out of the bullpen. So there's a little bit of history here that I think is kind of trailing this 111-win team into postseason play. You're calling the Dodgers with this five days off. Well, yeah, you got to like the five days off. But here, here's an interesting scenario that I, I someone mentioned on Twitter. Let's just pretend for a moment that the Padres go all the way. They would have to beat a 100-win team in the Mets a 100-win team in the Dodgers, a 100-win team of the Braves, and then possibly a 100-win team of the Astros. Has that ever happened? Um, I know in 98, they beat two 100-win teams, teams, but you still, if, if I'm a betting man in Vegas, you got to put your money on the Dodgers. Okay. Um, and, you, and even though you know something could go wrong. Let's talk about the third team on the West Coast. No more games to be played, but they're making news already. Yeah, the Angels um, just signed Phil Nevin to a one-year deal to be their manager, and I'm so happy for him. Um, you know, his his family is here in, in my hometown of Poway. My kids know his kids. Um, we've seen him over at the Poway High School baseball field. He's a great, great upstanding man. And it was wonderful to see him finally get the opportunity with a legit one-year deal to lead the Angels. And he's had some success here these last two months. So the, the, it's, it's looking a little bit optimistic in Anaheim. Well, they had two pieces of business. One is obviously after Phil Nevin replaced Joe Madden, was never the right fit. Well, the players responded. I was told from within the players responded very positively to Phil, who can be pushy. Uh, the other question, you know, could he revert all the issues they had? Because a lot of injuries to the pitching staff. Mike Trout was in and out of the lineup. There was no Anthony Rendon for a long period of time. The team, once it started to get the injured people back, played pretty well. Now, now, when Nevin walked in the front door, he inherited what became a 14-game losing streak. And thought, oh, this is awful. Is this going to be his calling card? Is it going to be his end of his managerial dream to walk into a mess and not be able to fix it? But he did. They had a five-game winning streak, and at the end of the season, they had a seven-game winning streak, including wins against Seattle, who are in the postseason. 
So that that's a positive. Phil gets another year. The other positive is the big question. Would they trade Otani at the trade deadline? Artie Moreno said no. The big question, could they afford to re-sign him? The club is up for sale. Artie Moreno said no problem. They signed Otani. Superstar, two-way player. Haven't seen this since Babe Ruth. They signed Otani to a one-year, $30 million extension. And they'll deal with free agency next year. They may have new ownership by that point in time. So the Angels have answered two questions before we we started postseason, even if they're not in the playoffs. However, the next big question is, what is that general manager going to do to fix the woeful pitching staff? And can they get some more healthy players in to complement what they have? So there we are. A quick comment on baseball as it relates to the other playoff series. We'll just play pick 'em, pal. Tampa Bay at Cleveland. I mean, we know what the Rays are all about. Nobody knows the Indians. The Indians have a bunch of guys who have really come together, mm-hmm. led by the star Jose Ramirez, but they got Steve Kwan. They got a whole number of other guys. All they do is win games. Not a lot of recognizable names outside of Shane Bieber, uh, their starting pitcher. I'm picking Cleveland to beat Tampa Bay. Uh, in that playoff series. The other playoff series, you've got Seattle-Toronto. Uh, the Blue Jays have struggled with an interim manager. They've never been a hot. You look at the batting order with Springer and Guerrero and Bichette, and you say, why did they struggle to get in the playoffs? Well, they've had a lot of injuries to the pitching staff, but they're in postseason. And you got Seattle, which has really come together, and Jerry DePoto's made every type of deal imaginable. And they got Luis Castillo, which is a huge difference from Cincinnati, and he will be their first game starter. I'm picking Seattle to win that. And the other National League wild card, I don't know what to make of Philadelphia. They've had so many pitching issues. Uh, Bryce Harper right now is not having a Bryce Harper season, but they do have lots of bats. Castellanos, uh, JT Riamuto. Uh, Reese Hoskins, uh, that could be a slugfest, but they're playing in St. Louis, and that means you're facing Goldschmidt, and that means you're facing Arenado, and that means you're facing those old guys, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, and a collection of young outfielders that are very productive. I think St. Louis somehow, some way takes out Philadelphia. So your pick on the other wild cards. Yeah, so the, the fun part of the American League wild cards it, with Cleveland and with Seattle's, there's so many Padre players that are on those two rosters. So they may not be recognizable names nationally, but for, for us, we know these guys. So uh, but I'm really pulling for Seattle. These guys have been in that drought for, gosh, how long? Two decades. So good for them to get in. And then, you know, in the national, and I'm going to pick, like, just like you, I'm going to go Seattle. I'm going to go with Cleveland. And in the other series, I mean, rolling into St. Louis is tough. That's a hard place to play. Um, and those guys have experience as well. So I'm, I'm with you. We're going Cardinals in that series as well. Hope you're enjoying our special Thursday podcast. John Riley is in master control back in San Diego. We're attempting to do this from my cottage in the northern Adirondacks uh, near the New York-Canadian border. Okay, let's go from baseball. Let's go to football. Where do you want to start? Because, boy, there's a lot of things to talk about. Oh, my God. The Chargers, like, all of a sudden, you know, we we've, it was doom and gloom, and now suddenly things are looking brighter for the team. 
Well, they won in Houston, almost lost in Houston. It was Houston, which is really a poor team as it relates to roster makeup. So they, they get back to 500 at two and two. Now they got to go to Cleveland. And that's going to be a much challenge, much bigger challenge, John, because the Bolts, led by Justin Herbert, who threw for 340 last week, the Bolts are not playing the Houston Texans. They're playing Cleveland. Cleveland, the weather forecast in Cleveland, sunny and cool, and a 100% chance they're going to run Nick Chubb and the linebacker Hill all day long. What a great so that's going to be an enormous challenge for the Charger defense because we know what Kansas City is doing post-Baker Mayfield without Deshaun Watson. They're playing Powerball with those two running backs. And, and I mean, Chubb is just, that's a 100-yard guy. And Kareem Hunt has, has really become a great complement to what Nick Chubb is. And they can still throw the football down the field with Jacoby Brissett. The fascinating aspect to the Chargers is that they don't have their left tackle. Uh, They've had problems on the right side of the offensive line that are starting to spring up. Cleveland's obviously, if Cleveland were 100% healthy, you'd really be worried about Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney coming off the edge. But those guys have had minor injury problems. But Cleveland does have a really good secondary led by Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, etc., I don't think this is going to be an easy game. What Herbert has done so far to play through this fractured rib cartilage thing is pretty amazing. But he did it against the Houston Texans, and that's not much of a challenge. This is, I think, a legitimate Cleveland Browns big-time defense. And the the Charger defense, their manhood's going to get tested because that's going to be Nick Chubb and that's going to be Kareem Hunt. And occasionally it's Jacoby Brissett throwing the football down the field. Your response? Yeah, I get it because we knew they were rickety kind of going into Houston. And then, you know, I turn on the TV and it's like, wow, they were up big. And, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's kind of a weak team. They're at the, they're near the bottom of the NFL, but going into, going into Cleveland is tough, you know, even, you know, in the new stadium environment, the dog pound is there. Um, and, Going on the road two consecutive weeks, it's going to be tough for the Chargers. Let's see if they are starting to heal or if if they're going to get exposed. Herbert's thrown for 1,250 yards this season. Think about that with not great protection and with an injury. That's pretty impressive. Now, do they get heal? No. Keenan Allen retweaked his hamstring again. He is out. That's a big setback. Now, there's another thing that's not been talked about. Dustin Hopkins injured a quad in the game in Houston, and he is their their rock-solid, trustworthy field goal kicker. If he can't play, they just brought in a street free agent on Thursday that might have to try to kick field goals in the dog pound. So will not be easy for the Bolts. The other team in Southern California, you want to talk about uh, – the defending Super Bowl champions who don't look like Super Bowl champions oh. right now. Yeah, they were up in Santa Clara. I mean, first, the you know, before the game got started, they had the crazy guy running on the field with the pink smoke, and he gets tackled by the two Ram players. But then the game rolls on, and, wow, I mean, the 49ers looked really good, or did the Rams look really bad? But the end result of that is not what I expected. Street fight. San Francisco punched them in the mouth, and the Rams could not respond. Uh, you know, the Rams are two and two, John. The two losses, they got their brains beat in by Buffalo, and then they got mugged by San Francisco. That, to me, is a warning song. And you and I have chatted about the Rams, not the same football team right now, and that's a big issue. 
The Cooper Cup had 14 catches last week. Think about that. Cooper Cup's got 42 receptions in four games. He's on a pace for 170 catches. He can't do it by himself. They obviously made a mistake in, in the money they gave Allen Robinson, the ex-Chicago Bear. He's lost. He's, they don't target him. And this guy's getting paid big-time money. Mm-hmm. Tyler Higby catches what they can throw to him. Their bigger issue is offensive front is all chewed up. They don't have their center back. Now they've lost a guard. They've lost a tackle. There is no Andrew Whit- Whitworth at left tackle who went into retirement. Can't bloody run the football at all. I mean, they've got issues. And on the defensive side, I mean, San Francisco went down the field on them. Buffalo went down the field on them and ran the ball on Aaron Donald. This Rams team, to me, John, is just not the same football team. And Sean McVay's got his he's got his hands full right now because, you know, as, as they get ready to move back into action, I, I just think this is going to be a huge challenge for them because they got issues and they're not answering the question. Is Matthew Stafford really healthy? Because they're not going down the field deep. Uh, and that's to me, it's it's a methodical offense, and Stafford's trying hard. He took seven sacks last week. You can't have your star quarterback take kind of pound and said, I think the defending Super Bowl champions are in a world of hurt. I mean, you talked about this in the when we did our NFL season preview about Stafford and about his injuries and whether or not he was going to be able to throw the ball downfield, but he still doesn't seem to be fully back to what he once was. Okay, let's talk about the injury story around the league that nobody's going to ignore. This is the dateline is Miami. Uh, the whole Tua Tagovailoa concussion situation. You know, he got hammered really badly two weeks ago. It looked like he had a concussion hitting his head, back of his head on the field, staggered coming off. They said it was a back injury, back spasms, impacted his legs. He came back and played in the second half and played really well. He took a ferocious hit the following week. He is in concussion protocol, and he is out indefinitely, not just this weekend's game, but he could be out maybe three weeks. Uh, There's been a huge uproar, John, about the NFL protocol. Was it handled correctly? Was it not handled correctly? Did somebody make a mistake? Is somebody making exceptions because it's the Miami quarterback? Well, I was told via my communications on email that Tua went through concussion protocol with the first injury, and they ruled it was not a concussion. It was a back. The Tua, after that game, even though he came back in the second half, played well. He was he was examined for concussion symptoms every day leading into the next game. He never showed any concussion symptoms. So he was good to go in the next game. And then he got hurt. Now, they fired the lead consultant. They said that there were mistakes made in the procedure in in investigating to his injury. What they've now inserted in place of the fired consultant is that three doctors now have access to all the information day by day to what continues now that he is in concussion protocol. Those three doctors get emails of all the diagnostics, and they evaluate each night whether or not he should be cleared to practice, limited in practice, what his role is in practice going forward. He's not obviously not going to play this week. I tend to think that maybe he's out three weeks. The scary thing to me, and I can't get the picture out of my mind, and I'm a historian. I don't know if you've ever seen the picture of Frank Gifford, the New York Giants legend, the running back who got knocked unconscious by Philadelphia Eagles tough guy linebacker Chuck Bednarik. And Bednarik stood over a horizontally in a coma 
Gifford and pointed at him. Gifford never played again that season. That's a big issue. And I flash back to my days as the voice of the Chargers. Super Bowl quarterback Stan Humphreys took one hit. Guy ran over him in Cincinnati. Significant concussion. Never played again. So this whole concussion thing really scares me. Was there malpractice? I won't go that far. Was there malfeasance? I don't know that even go that far. Were there mistakes? Well, the NFL seems to think there are. There's been a massive uproar of players around the league, uh, led by Rodney Harrison from NBC TV, the ex-charger, who says, you don't want to deal with CTE. And then Jalen Ramsey and the Rams, who said, this league must take care of its product. Its product are the quality players. We can't have this going on. So the story's far from over. I don't know how long two is going to be out. So that's that's my long-winded reaction with all the details that I've dug up. You're the fan in this whole conversation. What do you think? Well, obviously a tragic situation. We're all wishing the best for Tua to recover and get back on his feet and be a healthy human, much less, you know, a healthy athlete. But I think this time seems a little bit different. I mean, the reaction from the fan base, the reaction from the media, calling out the NFL, people were real. Like you say, they were angry. People were on Twitter just lighting it up. I mean, uh, really digging in on this. And you look at the tragedy of someone like Junior Seau with the CTE, and and there's a long list of other players that have had such difficulty. The NFL has a problem on its hands. The NFL has to find a way to fix this, to clean this up. And do they need to change rules more? Do they need more protection? We, we, they, they're going to need to really step up. They can't look the other way. And then meanwhile, in college ball, you know, the San Diego State quarterback gets hit. The Oklahoma quarterback gets hit. And these are younger kids. And they are victims of this as well. So the sport collectively really needs to take a hard look at itself because parents down at the youth level are going to be reluctant to have their children play football. And then that begins to erode the sport overall. And then the NFL is going to have a financial problem on its hands. The NFL uses the term abundance of caution. Mm. They, They need to invoke that phrase right now. They need to fix this and get it right to protect yes. the players. Now, you mentioned San Diego State. Let's just do a brief comment. Uh, the Aztecs uh, have a quarterback crisis. Unbelievable. Uh, they were down to an 18-year-old freshman who had never taken a snap in college football after Braxton Burmeister suffered a concussion last week, and the freshman backup, Kyle Crum, went out with a broken collarbone. Well, they have taken one of their safeties, Jalen Maiden, who transferred here from Mississippi State as a quarterback, and they have put him back into practice as the backup quarterback. Burmeister has practiced this week, not contact. He still was in concussion protocol as of Thursday as we took the air, but he was allowed to practice, and he's not had any symptoms since then. But they're going to have to be very careful, and I'm sure they will, because those are good medical people there. Yeah. Very careful. But at the end of the day, even though you got Burmeister back and Maiden, who has played bits and pieces as a backup quarterback, left-handed thrower, even though you got those guys as quarterback, that does not solve the real problem, which is the leaky, young offensive line. And that becomes a really big issue at San Diego State. The, the eject button was hit. Jeff Heklinski, longtime assistant to Brady Hoke at Ball State and at Michigan, 
gone. Jeff Horton replaces him. Horton's a former offensive coordinator, has good credentials, but his whole mantra is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Mm-hmm. They can't run the ball very well because of a young offensive line, and they surely can't pass protect very well either because of a young offensive line. So this bears watching. Unique the ability to get a guy who's a proven commodity in Ryan Lindley to come back home, ex-Aztec record-setting quarterback. He and Kevin O'Connell were phenomenal for a, a six- or seven-year run. He had been with the Cleveland Browns as an administrative assistant, learned in the NFL game, went to Mississippi State, working under Mike Leach. Guy's got credentials. Guy's got intelligence. But at the end of the day, he'll stabilize and give some leadership because he's such a younger coach but he can't fix the offensive line and he can't take the workload off the quarterback if they can't run the football. So unbelievable amount of turmoil. Aztecs play Hawaii. They should handle that game easily, you know, but they still got to go to Fresno state and they still got to play Vegas, which is the surprise team in a league. And they still got to deal with air force Academy's power run game. So there's a lot of things out there that Brady Hooks still got down road, but got to put this fire out and they're they really need to evaluate what they're going to do an offensive coordinator i maintain they need to go get a hot young assistant coach who can not only coach the passing game but can recruit quarterbacks that come in here to be part of the passing game that's off the top of my head that's a quick comment on the aztecs your turn yeah i mean just the way it's spun out of control and the depth chart you know they're they're reaching down deep i mean now the walk-ons are probably you know in the number two or number three on the depth chart so it's kind of crazy how everything can change so quickly um but that's the situation they're in but they're playing at home right this weekend so let's just hope they they can find a way to to win and and kind of get get going to the best of their ability as they get into the conference play. Quick comment. USC is unbeaten. Thank you, that head coach. Thank you, Caleb Williams, that quarterback. They look pretty good. UCLA is unbeaten. That's a real surprise. The fact that they ran rough shot over the University of Washington really stunned me. I don't know how deep into the season that Chip Kelly is going to go with their ability, but right now those two teams – are doing pretty well. One other topic on the table, John. Let's leave football. Let's quickly go to an, a scandal of unbelievable proportions. You know, you and I have talked soccer, English Premier League, MLS, the teams in San Diego. This investigative report about sexual uh, harassment in the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, is deplorable. Uh, five organizations are being criticized for allowing a culture to go on in which coaches berated all the female players in the NWSL, a groping incident, intimidation, sexual harassment. Uh, Three coaches have already been removed. The president and general manager of the Portland franchise have just been forced to resign. I'm not going to say that the National Women's League is about to topple, but they need a house cleaning at the top from commissioner on down because this is a horrific story as it relates to what went on unchecked. Uh, and, And I know the women on the U.S. national women's team who are playing England getting ready for the World Cup, the women on the U.S. national team have been enormously critical of soccer's leadership for allowing this to go on for such a long period of time. This is nasty. It's dirty. It's ugly. 
but it is taking a step in the right direction. Now they must follow up by making the personnel moves to get the right leadership there to clean up this mess that was allowed to go on unchecked for decades. Yeah, it's incredible how this problem of, you know, sexual harassment is is in almost every league. We're seeing it in the NBA. We've talked about that in the NFL. I mean, it's everywhere and it's it's sad. It's tragic because um, there are victims that are involved here. And you would think that why aren't these athletes learning this? I mean, why are they not getting, you know, staying in their lane and getting on the straight and narrow? It makes you kind of wonder is does this have to do with athletes for most of their career? They've been sort of these untouchable, uh, you know, athletes that everyone looks up to that can do no wrong. Does that get does that get into their psyche so that they think they can get away with this, you know, this this garbage? Well, the big the, the big issue is is the harassment. And everything else has come from general managers and coaches. It's not player to player. Uh, the most outspoken one is Megan Rapinoe, the superstar from, from Team USA. She's the one that led the lawsuit and the drive to get women players paid on an absolute equal basis for the men's national team. A massive lawsuit that she helped forge. They got women now equal pay to what the U.S. World Cup team is getting. And she has been very vocal that this abuse of female players in the NWSL has to be dealt with and dealt with at the top, starting with maybe the firing of the commissioner, who did not seem to think she had the power to stop it. And then the governance and the board of directors, etc. So we've not heard the end of this, but this report was sleazy. It does indeed take a step forward. Mm -hmm. A lot of topics on the table. John, this has been fascinating. You at our San Diego studio, me at my cottage up on the Canadian border in upstate New York. We did this. We'll be back with our normal schedule this coming week. Uh, And we remind you, if you enjoy our podcast, uh, the text, tweet, email all your friends because we are live on Facebook. We're obviously live on YouTube. We do put it up also on Twitter, as well as all the audio platforms too. John, good job. We'll look forward to chatting with you next week. Thanks again for being with us and enjoy the playoffs. Here come the Padres and postseason play going to the World Series. That's right, Lee. Looking forward to it. My pleasure. Thank you, John. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.